Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, I think all arguments against Chris Osgood to the Hall of Fame are out the window now. Yeah, his case got so much better today. It, it got absolutely cemented today. He's going to have to wait 100 years for the next batch of goalies to be inducted in bulk, which is apparently what we're doing. But as I'm not sure where you stood, Evan, but I, I think I was closer to you, Brad, where it was like I could see the case for Osgood, but not really one that I was hammering in terms of worthy Hall of Fame candidates. And that's just out the window. Yeah, if if it was still the Hall of Fame, I, I did not have Ozzy on any of my ballots. Zetterberg would have been a fringe case to me. But given the standard that's been set over the last, you know, five or so years and this class especially cementing that, it's the Hall of Very Good. And there's not a person on the planet who can argue that Ozzy wasn't very good. Agreed. Well, Mike Vernon got in. That's cool. Red Wings, go- this is now a show campaigning for Red Wings goalies who have fought Patrick Waugh to, <laughs> to, to get into the Hall of Fame. We're 50% successful. It is, uh, it's telling of the NHL and the way the ebbs and flows of story goes, uh, stories go in this league, that this is our last episode before our full 2023 NHL draft preview, and most of our topics are not, you know, completely draft related we have trade rumors we have hall of fame we have you know actually multiple uh, potential trade opportunities uh, or uh, cases of players that the red wings are interested in coming up eiserman did a presser which it's christmas oh my god thank you for that uh but yeah that's uh it's exciting for us so a lot of content to cover without further ado welcome folks to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things detroit red wings hockey the world of the NHL, the NHL draft, and plenty more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about Steve Eisenman's uh, most recent press conference and what we are able to glean from the mountain of information that he always uh, willfully reveals, if you can read uh, some sarcasm in that tone. Uh, We'll be talking about the Hall of Fame class and the snub of uh, Henrik Zetterberg, Alex McGillney, and others. Uh, trade rumors abound. You've heard his name plenty. We warned you that it'd be coming back, Alex Debrinkit, but he's joined by others. Uh, some Philadelphia Flyers enter the fray in terms of uh, players Detroit might be interested in, a uh, prospect profile, and some other NHL news before we head into overtime. Before that, I want to let you know if you've enjoyed any of our content, our draft coverage, um, our expanded, you know, Winged Wheel podcast content universe with uh, the show Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Uh, anything that we do, that is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club, uh, you get access to our uh, overtime bonus episodes, which which record right after these main ones, to our Discord exclusive, our Patreon-exclusive Discord Winged Wheel Podcast community, and uh, also you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, last season, as I'm sure you've heard, uh, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going directly to our patrons. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. It'll put a smile on Evan's face, and he doesn't smile at all. Okay, let's jump right into it. Uh, Steve Eisman did his press conference, and uh, we were actually able to get some information from him. Not a lot, so fair warning. You know, he didn't divulge his deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, that would be the day hell froze over. Um you know, Evan hit an ace finally in his life. Sorry, I don't know why I took a dig at you there. But uh, still, we were we were able to get some information out of Steve Eisman 
and what he said on this one. And I think let's start with how he values the draft picks. So he was asked specifically about picks 9, 17, and then the three picks consecutive in the second round. And I want to qualify all this by saying GMs, right, GMs always are poker players. It is to their advantage to lie. But especially right now leading up to the draft, the trades that happened before the draft, you know, draft picks, they are especially poker players. So all of this with the biggest, fattest grain of salt you can find. But he said uh, he doesn't anticipate moving the ninth pick. And in all likelihood, as we stand here today, I expect to use the 17th pick on the first night of the draft as well. So, I mean, you can decipher that as you want to. Yeah, I was say, what was the exact phrasing? If he said use the that, 17th pick, yeah. not make the yeah. 17th pick. He's, that, that's that what is people the, have been doing. The tin foil hats are like, well, that, that counts. Meanwhile, I'm like, I don't think he used any words specifically because he would just lie and do exactly. The, <laughs> that's do the, the reality. It's you can't take anything he says with 100% sincerity. But he did have, especially for the ninth pick, a lot of emphasis, and I think that shows two things: one, a genuine interest in the players who are available there, and I think that's real. If you look at our prospect profiles, if you ask me to narrow down the possible players where I could reasonably see the Red Wings picking them and I could expect it, it's still a list of what, what, a dozen players? Around that, yeah. At this, and that's not going to narrow between now and the draft, I'm sorry. like In terms of credible tips and information that we've gotten, it's filtered out almost nothing. Like, so many players are on the board here, and, you know, players who we haven't even done profiles for either. So, I don't know uh, uh, how else to look at this other than at 9, you're going to have so many options, and then 8 picks later at 17, you're probably going to have Maybe another guy who you had within your top 10 or 12. So, yeah, you're you're illustrating the, the point that picks 9 and 17 are going to be valuable for you because this is a really strong draft class. But let's say you're negotiating with an Ottawa or a Philadelphia. You're saying, hey, these are really valuable picks. I'm not just going to throw them in for nothing um, because these top 10 or 12 players are going to be available at, at pick 17. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I think there's going to be a lot of fluidity on the floor, not just in terms of what the Red Wings draft strategy is, but also their draft plans as a whole. Um, Because like you said, there's so many players in play in the picks and the way teams construct their lists, there's certainly going to be one of the Red Wings top 10 prospects available at 17. That's That's just how lists work in this scenario. There could also be a whole bunch of uh, you know, you used Ottawa and Philly as the two most likely examples. It could also be heavily influenced by what their lists look like. You know, say hypothetically, Ottawa is really big on Matthew Wood. Like they have him seventh on their list. And after pick 16 comes and goes and Matthew Wood is still on the board. Yeah, I wonder if, I wonder if Stevie's phone's ringing at that point saying, all right, uh, that deal, you know, 17 in Zadina or whatever the hell it is. Our guys there, let's do it. Yeah, and we'll we'll jump forward uh, in a little bit to how he referred to his second-round picks, but something that he said there, and this is, I think, just general consensus, but Eisman's opinion is that most dealing of those draft picks doesn't happen in advance. Those conversations at least happen on the draft floor. The Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. The structure of the proposed trades are likely already in place, I'd be shocked if Eisenman didn't already know what Ottawa wanted for Dabrinkit, like specifically, and what uh, Philly wanted for Konechny. Again, what we'll t- we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but 
it could be triggered by the draft board, right? If if Ottawa's got like, there's six guys we think that might be there at 17. And if one of them's there, we're going to make the trade. But if they all go in the top, you know, 10, 12, whatever, Ottawa'd be like, yeah, scratch that. There's nobody here that piques our interest for this trade. So no, thank you. And Eisenman would know that. Ottawa would know that, you know, whatever. And what I ultimately think is probably going through Eisenman's head right now is the board. Like literally he's going to walk into that room that day expecting to make all five of those picks. I think that's got to be the game plan. It has to be the mentality because you can't be caught off guard by what other teams choose to do, right? Because if the board doesn't fall the the trade partner's way, you're going to be sitting there holding that pick no matter what. So when Eisenman says use versus make or whatever, I, I don't think there's much to that legitimately. And I think when he says his plan is to, if even if he said make pick nine and 17, that is probably the plan right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's only going to be thrown into question based on who is at the other end of the phone, you know, come that time. When asked about these second round picks, Eisman referred to them pretty openly as currency, um, and not to say he's going to trade them, like he he talked about, yeah, you, you could make all those picks, but he also noted that there's a lot of teams, you know, that don't have picks in the early rounds uh, because of other trades that they've made. And if you're one of those teams and you're looking to kind of restock your draft class, let's say you're a Pittsburgh or, you know, a, a team who kind of went for it in the cup, uh, for the cup, and whether you failed or not, it doesn't matter. You always want more draft picks, especially in what's supposed to be a strong year. So you look at Detroit with five picks in the first 43 you're going to make your offers to them. Other teams too, but Detroit's going to get the vast majority of offers uh, available to them. So I'm not saying he's going to trade at least one of them, but he very well could in, in the way he opened up about it. And this is something that we talked about quite a bit. You could make all three picks, and I think Detroit would be laughing with five picks, like five strong prospects out of the first 43. But if you're going to make play- picks for players who are ready now, like a, a Debrinket, a Konechny, a Kevin Hayes, or whoever you're probably pulling from that pool. Yeah, exactly. And he's right. It's currency. There's no other way to look at it. We use the term assets all the time. Mm -hmm. Every pick is an asset. Every prospect is an asset. Every player is an asset. And the organization has values on all of them. And again, I think the big word of the day come draft day is going to be, you know, fluid. I think they know what they'd like for all of these picks. I think they know who they'd like to take with all of these picks and they're going to be prepared for equal opportunity because the most important thing Eisenman said, and I'm going to reiterate this till the day of the draft, these conversations and everything, these aren't going to arise last second. None of the trades, none of the picks, none of whatever happens that day is just coming to fruition that morning. It's going to be, the the conversations have already happened. The initial phases, whatever you want to call it, have already happened you know, Danny Breer and Steve Eisenman has pro- have probably had phone conversations. Uh, Steve Eisenman and Pierre Dorian have definitely had phone conversations. It's just, yeah. you know, and, and again, I can't stress that enough. It's going to be beat to death over the next week or two. I agree with you by and large, especially for established players, because you don't really trade for a guy without talking to the rest of your team, your coach, your pro scouts. How does he fit in? But if you're talking picks. Oh, if you're talking like trade ups, trade downs. Yeah, yeah that, that, that I think that happens Quite a bit in the moment. Oh, yeah. Well, your board has to fall a certain way. Otherwise, it's redundant, right? Like, you know, we know how big the Red Wings are on Hanzik. Mm -hmm. They may or may not take him at nine. Maybe they're hoping for him at 17. And 
let's say he's 10th on their board, hypothetically. Let's say Oliver Moore is number eight on their board and I'm going to pull a name out of my hat. Sandine Pellick is number nine. If they get more at nine, they get Sandine Pellick at 17. And all of a sudden they're sitting there with three second round picks and Hansik's available at like 19, 20, 21. Unlikely as it is, just using him as the example. Yep. They know the valuations of those second round picks and that's a guy in their top 10. Of course, they're picking up the phone and offering whatever the hell they can to get up and do that, which... Okay. Honestly, the way their prospect pool is structured right now, if they could turn two of those seconds into a first, that's probably a better outcome here. Yeah. Other, like, it's not as fun, but other ways to use those second round picks is if Detroit has guys on their board, but uh, they think they can get them in the third round and someone's offering a premium, like, you know, a second plus a third plus a, a fifth next year, Detroit could choose to do that as well, just like kind of kicking the can down the road. There's nothing wrong with taking three picks in a row, but it is. If you can maximize the value and buy yourself a, a little bit of breathing space, if you don't believe in all the guys that you're taking, if you think back to our conversation with Max and last episode's mock draft, teams' lists are way shorter than you'd think. So um, that would make it, um, it, it's another option available to them. Uh, speaking of Max, he also asked Steve, uh, basically had they interviewed Michkov, uh, Daniil Boot, like the Russians are harder to to interview for obvious reasons right now. Uh Nothing was revealed on that front, but there has been quite a bit of chatter in terms of teams having a hard time accessing Michkov. It seems that meetings have started to happen recently. Uh, there's been a lot of conflicting news about who's been meeting and, and when and how much to read into that. I, I kind of am hesitant to do. Um, but in terms of Michkov falling down the board, that could be a big reason why. You're not going to pick a guy like that if you don't have an opportunity to meet him. If Detroit hasn't met with him, would they pick him? That's hard to say. So uh, that kind of access is really important if you're making a pick. Frankly, if you're making any pick in the first round, but especially within the top 10, you need to know who you're spending that premium on. But it didn't seem like Eisenman, based on his answer, was scared of taking Russians. He was like, there doesn't really seem to be anything other than GMs taking the best player available, and GMs don't really lend like reveal their hand. And those who say, oh, I'm not taking Russians are the first one to do it. So, Yeah, the meeting though, and, and glad you brought it up, the meeting is the big thing with the Russians this year, especially Meechkov, because if you don't know their plans, you, you can't risk. I don't care if, like, I'm Meechkov's biggest supporter on, uh, like, you know, going into the draft. He's number two with an exclamation mark in this draft, talent-wise. Um but if you don't get to talk to him to ask him the question, are you coming over in three years? You can't take him. You just, you simply can't. You need him to look you in the eye and go, yes, I'm there for three more years. And then I'm in your opening night lineup that fourth year. And then that can put your mind at ease. But if you get any answer but that with a top 10 pick, yeah, I understand why he might fall down some boards if, if he's being very noncommittal with teams. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere in that uh, press conference, talked about how trading in division used to be pretty taboo or, or a lot more difficult, but now it's you just really make whatever deal is best for your team, and that's pretty standard fare. Um, I still think there's an increase in price, but in general, with the way the league shakes out and who you actually see in the playoffs and and how GMs feel about you know trading in division, rivalries just seem watered down. So I don't know that it's that big of a deal anymore. I was told this format would increase rivalries. Yeah, well, 
once come playoff time, but then we'll actually see. It's uh, yeah, maybe it'll increase rivalries, but as a team, as the league just relentlessly adds more teams to the league, to what we're probably my bet. I think I've said this on air. My bet is that the NHL has plans for, or has actually you know opened thirty six teams by twenty thirty. That's disgusting. I, I honestly think that's the direction we're going. I'm okay with it for a different day. This fight <laughs> for a different day. All right, that's that's the press conference. Um, that's probably as much of a window as we'll get into Steve Eisman's mind before the draft. Uh, before we talk about you know those trades, that interdivision trade that's uh, standing out in people's mind, let's talk about the Hall of Fame very quickly. <clears throat> Henrik Zetterberg was eligible and uh, not selected for the second year in a row. Alex McGillney uh, not selected for the what twenty millionth year in a row. Inexcusable. Uh, the class was Henrik Lundqvist, very well deserved. Uh, Caroline Ouellette, uh, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, uh, uh, Tommy Barrasso, and then Pierre Lacroix and Ken Hitchcock as builders. Yeah, builders make sense. I got I got no qualms with those two. Uh, and Henrik Lundqvist, I've got no issue with. And oh, then, of course. And then everything beyond that, like I am thoroughly confused. Happy that Mike Vernon again, like like we said at the top yeah. of the show, great for him. I like Mike Vernon. Um, I like Tom Barrasso. I I actually would argue they're two of the most underrated goalies of their generations. Like they were very, very, very good uh, near the top of the league for damn near their whole careers. They were never at the top of their league. Oh, so he's really good. Yeah, the hall, the hall of really good. <laughs> um, Vernon's con Smythe really helps him. Yeah, for sure. Because he, he has at least that major trophy. Brasso has a Calder, was a three-time Vesna finalist. But, I mean, this is the Hall of Fame. Uh, what are we doing here? Like, the thing that this selection committee has done over the last, you know, five to ten years that infuriates me but beyond everything else is it's arbitrary now. I understand it always kind of is. But what's the standard? And the standard they set, there's so many, too many options at that standard that it seems like they're just picking their buddies. Like, objectively, what... You know, Daniel Alfredson and Guy Carboneau are in. Henrik Zetterberg and Alex McGillney are not. McGillney's a tier above them all, but he's not in. Zetterberg is a tier above Carboneau, but he's not in. Um, the women's category, they have two slots every year. For 13 straight years, they haven't used the second slot. Why? You know, you look at someone like Julie Chu, whose wife literally got inducted today or got it announced as an inductee today. Could that, have been a really nice moment. That could have been an, one of the greatest storylines. And nobody in, would bat an eye and say Julie Chu wasn't deserving. Everybody would be like, yeah, of course. She's an obvious candidate. Wait, wait. Is this the NHL we're talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know. Well, it's hot. It's old hockey men running the show. So it's exactly what you'd think. You know, Jennifer Botterill, who is almost two points per game in her international career, was over two points per game in her NCAA career. And, you know, there's a million players like in the women's game that I could list out. It's it's not worth going through them all because we'd sit here for hours. But the fact that they just left a space empty. So they have this unbelievably high standard for women to get in the Hall of Fame. They have now set what, relative to the Hall of Fame, is an incredibly low standard for the male players. And yet you have guys like McGillney, Zetterberg, who aren't in. I just... If they kept a high standard, this would be way easier. Okay, why isn't that guy in? He wasn't good enough. Okay. There should just be basically black and white criteria that they evaluate every five years. And, you know, just because somebody hasn't been 
it's their X amount of time that they've been a candidate or a option for the Hall of Fame. Like that shouldn't change your perspective on how they were as a player. Like just because someone's been on the list for 15 years doesn't mean, oh yeah, all of a sudden they're a Hall of Famer. Like either are or you're not. Uh, 18 years for Mike Vernon. It's the one, like the MLB has- Do they a... phase it out in the NHL or is it just- No, it's forever. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's I have no issue. problem with like a down year so you get to a little bit of the backlog, but it does seem like- Yeah, but that's dumb. But then, but that's what I mean. There should never be a backlog. If there isn't enough qualified candidates for you a year- You don't do it. You leave them empty. They have no problem doing it for the women. Yeah. <laughs> they have absolutely no problem doing it. <laughs> so it's not like they have this requirement where they have to fill every spot every year. This is why I hate it. Like, the Hall of Fame is subjective. It will always be subjective, and there will always be arguments. And that is fine. There should be at least some benchmark. But that's what I mean is the criteria, the the rules, the standard, the – there's no common sense here anywhere. There's no formula here anywhere. Everything is arbitrary. It literally just feels like, ah, this guy's my buddy. I'm going to call them up because, you know, the MLB has a lot of flaws with their system. But the one thing they do that I like is they do have a time limit. You're eligible for, I think it's 10 years. And if you don't get in. That's that's on you. You're done. Like, yeah, we, you were not better than any of the players in that time. So you are a Hall of Famer. And now because of that, the MLB has what feels like a Hall of Fame. You don't get in there unless you are the best of the best of the best. And you know, if you fall off in the last year, even though players really liked you and and the fans really liked you, okay, that sucks. But it, to have a good standard, you have to have stuff like that. Like, oh, I really like this guy. Why isn't he in? Because, you know, I've been the one Red Wings fan for the last, you know, five, ten years saying I don't think Chris Osgood's a Hall of Famer. Because he was very, very good his entire career. He had a couple quirky moments, but for the most part, he was a very good goalie behind a stacked team, put up great numbers, got the wins, did everything he needed to do. But he was never one of the best in the league. He was never among the elite of the elite. He didn't have to be. Yeah. And to me, that was always the argument. He shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because the Hall of Fame. Well, (laughs) Barrasso and Vernon are in there now. My argument's out the window. I can't petition against Osgood. Not that I ever wanted. So maybe that is the criteria. The 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 high watermark continues to change based on who they they elect or make. Yeah, who they elect every year. If you go on the Hockey Hall of Fame's website, they have a list of eligible players and their games played, goals, assists, total points. And I, I there's three categories for major awards. I think it's Olympic gold, Stanley Cup, something else. I don't know. Um, but some of the people who are on that list are shocking. Who are still like not selected. N- who are eligible but have not been selected. Yeah. Obviously, McGillney stands out significantly yeah. beyond basically everyone else. But yeah, the, the list is startling. Um, and yeah, it, it feels politicized a little bit uh, in terms of who they select. Well, what other what argument is there against McGillney? At this point, there, there isn't any because not it's also important to remember it's not the NHL Hall of Fame, no. even though McGillney had a sterling NHL career well above a point per game, 76 goal season. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame, international hockey counts, and McGillney was dominant there. And, you know, not that it's a, a, a quantifiable stat, but he was one of the, if not the first defector from the Soviet Union to come over to the NHL. That is not insignificant because look at what happened to the NHL after he defected. I think that alone should 
elevate his candidacy to be elected in the Hall of Fame because yeah. he uh, basically risked the well-being of himself and, and his family to play in the NHL. And uh, yeah, we're preaching to the choir on this one. With, um, without McGillney, there's no Fedorov in the Hall of Fame. There's no Burray in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, how many more players do you want to go down the list and pick? Like, obviously, there was always going to be a first to come over, but that could have happened in 1990, 95. Like, who knows how that would have all shaken out. But um, McGillney was the first one to take the risk, came over, dominated the NHL. You know, didn't have the longevity that you would like, but obviously circumstances dictated some of that. So I, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm angry Zetterberg's not in because with the, sta- again, the new standard of the Hall of Fame, Zetterberg's a lock. I don't care what anybody says. If the Hall of Fame was where it should be, Zetterberg's a fringe case, and I could hear an argument either way, was at the peak one of the best players in the league, didn't have the longevity, wasn't at the top of the league for more than a few years. I get it. I get a playoff monster, though. Yeah. I don't understand how you Con Smythe, he's got the major trophy that they require. He's got the cup that they require, even though they shouldn't require that. But but I can understand the fringy argument for Zetterberg. There's, there's not. Even at the higher tier of Hall of Fame that I think they should have, McGillney should be a lock. So... There continue to be players that should be in, like McGillney, who heads that class, who aren't. Uh, Zetterberg has deserved it. They haven't selected him. The only solace for me is that they put him and Datsuk in together. That's it. Um, and no, then, no, no, no. That's way too. That's way too fun. No, as we saw uh, with Carolyn Willette today, they don't like storylines. No. And uh, yeah, they're the way they pick goalies now and other players who are you know not to 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 disparage their careers, but who are on the fringe of whether or not they should be on the Hall of Fame. Chris Osgood's case is now cemented. He should get in one day based on how they've selected. That's the Hall of Fame. A little bit disappointed to not see uh, Zetterberg's name, but hey, at least we got Mike Vernon. Like we said, guys who have bloodied up Patrick Waugh. Did you see um, on a semi-related note that David Fries from the St. Louis Cardinals declined his election into the Cardinals Hall of Fame because he said, there are other players who are not in who had a bigger impact than he did. Big respect for that. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I don't know that I would... Uh, I wouldn't do it, no. but yeah. Good <laughs> for a him. better guy than me, for <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. Let's get into some trade talk, uh, and we'll start with the name that everyone's been hearing about and that we've probably titled two or three podcasts with his name so far. Alex Debrinkit and the Ottawa Senators. Uh, more on what the potential return. Frank Saravalli uh, reported that it seems like though folks are imagining massive returns for Debrinket because of the dollar value that has to come with the contract to follow and the fact that he's not signed currently, it seems like the returns they're getting are in the range of, and funny that Frank used a Detroit offer, where there's smoke, there's fire, maybe, uh, Zadina plus futures. And futures could mean a lot of things. So if futures means Zadina plus nine plus 42, then you're like, ooh. Is this a sign and trade scenario or just as is? It it could be where they have a trade. In, it's most likely to be where they have a trade in place and then they let the player um, talk to the team to work out the contract and you only hit go on the trade if they come to an agreement. That makes sense. There have only been two sign and trades in NHL history and they both happened very recently. So it could happen that way, but I think functionally it doesn't really matter in this case. Um but if futures mean like Zadina in 17 or Zadina and, you know, next year's Boston first or Zadina and 17 and like 43, then we're, then we're talking here. If 
if that's the price, that should immediately be agreed to and you begin negotiating. Um, again, I mentioned it earlier, the senator's draft board could be very relevant in terms of these negotiations. It could be as complicated as, you know, Eiserman and Dorian are talking and they come to an agreement with your hypothetical of, let's say, 1743 and Zadina. And then the Red Wings go and negotiate and they have a deal in place with Debrinket and then they go back to Ottawa and they're like, okay, this is a deal if one of these players is available at 17 and they just ride it out. And if pick 16 comes and goes and one of Ottawa's guys is there, the trade gets triggered, it's done. That could also be an option, right? So th- this is not a simple deal, be- especially because of the contract status of Debrinket, because in no reality should Detroit even consider this without an extension. And from Ottawa's standpoint, in no reality should they consider this without an extension because they'd be selling themselves short on value. Yeah. You're going to get more for nine years of Alex Debrinkit instead of one year of Alex Debrinkit. Let's put it this way. There's like a 95 plus percent chance happening uh, of this happening with the extension in place. The only thing that could change it is if some big swinging team like a Carolina somehow makes it work and they're willing to be weird and take the bet on the one year. And that's that, it's it's possible. But for who has the money for the teams who have the money for Debrinkit, it's a team who wants to extend him. Yeah, because there was a reported list that was going around. I don't know how uh, legit it was, so I won't read off all the teams. But the short of it was three teams who have no cap space, one team who's entering a rebuild, and Detroit. Like, so. (laughs) He's not forced his hand, but the lanes are there for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so people know, sometimes when uh, players and agents hand in like 10-team trade lists, for example, they don't actually hand in the... 10 teams they want to go to, they hand in the one or two they want to go to, and then eight teams who are so hamstrung or so disinterested in him as a player, where they're like, imagine like uh, Connor, I'm not saying this is real, but Connor Hellebuck, uh, you know, picking the Tampa Bay Lightning as a trade destination. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning are not going to trade for Connor Hellebuck. They have Andre Vasilevsky. That kind of thing is Can you imagine, though? (laughs) Oh, God. They would somehow still lose in the second round, because that's just how weird goalies are. But... Yeah, if that's the range of of offers, Debrinket is uh, is garnering. You know, sometimes the situation would be a GM would very smartly go, "Well, then I'm not trading him. I'll make this work with a contract, whatever." That's not possible this time. Seems very clear that Debrinket's not interested in staying in Ottawa long term. And though their hands aren't tied, tied, they are to a degree tied. They could buy some time, quite literally buy some time, but yeah, they, they give him the one year qualifying offer for nine mil and, you know, I doubt to would decline it and then they just pay him that one year deal and trade him at the deadline. That is still an option. So it's not like they have to, have to, have to, but that's not a good scenario for Ottawa or the trade partners. No. So there's, this isn't like the most hardline trade only to Detroit situation, but the guardrails are in to guide him to Detroit or one or two other preferred teams. So pretty much what Ottawa has to do now, and this is all complicated by the fact that they have a new ownership group coming in. They may very well change the GM. You don't make big deals like this without extending a courtesy notice to the incoming owner. And I think that happens through Bill Daly and it's all a bunch of bureaucratic necessary steps whenever companies change uh, hands. Uh, But Ottawa essentially has to sit on the offer from Detroit and decide, are we going to get anything better? Can we squeeze any more out of them? And like Brad said, maybe the draft board um, 
pushes them, or maybe they're just like, I'm going to run the clock on this trade because I need to see if I can up the the offer from Detroit and get like a better first or a second or a third or whatever it might be. But that's, even if it's like much higher than that range, I think you're working with a very, very reasonable offer for Dabrinkit, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think, the, the new owner thing, I, I did want to talk about that, so I'm glad you brought that up. Dorian's fighting for his job right now. He can't get fleeced on this trade. So we've talked many times before about how one of the biggest factors in a trade that nobody ever talks about is how does it impact a GM's job security? And if no team is offering more than, let's say, 17 in Zadina for Debrinket, Pierre Dorian, who's fighting for his job, is probably better off not taking it. Because if he gets robbed blind with a new owner coming in, he's probably not going to be the GM for much longer. He's already in thin ice because people don't know if Van Lauer is going to bring in, you know, one of his guys like Steve Steos or if he's going to let Dorian run with it. So that's a further complication because, yeah, if, if you move to Brinkett for a very poor return, man, that is that is not great for the sequel of the Hot Pierre Summer. No, no, Hot Pierre Summer. We might be looking at the uh, the end of uh, the Pierre Summers for a limited time being. He strikes me as a guy who will find work elsewhere in the league. Though. Oh, probably. And you know what? To his credit, I think he's had his up and downs, but he's had some surprising big hits. I I think most of Dorian's problems in the past were not Pierre Dorian problems. I I, I think he was directed to do some of the things that uh, don't reflect well on his resume. <laughs> I think he's much closer to Brad Tree living in terms of competency as a GM than people would otherwise admit. Yeah, more Brad Tree living, less Peter Shrelly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's I'll, a scale, eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that Tree living is like the far end of the scale. He's Tree living is much more like average, compet- yeah. average competent GM. Yeah. Average hockey man, Brad yeah. Tree living. Yeah. Although Ken you, Holland on the far right as GOAT status GM. That's right. Never aired in his life. And hasn't had a loss in his career. No. Speaking of Ken Holland, did you see that uh, article The Athletic put out about each team's salary cap situation? Uh, I what? haven't had a chance to read that yet. Let me guess where Edmonton's is. Do you know how startling it was to see Detroit at number two and then under the category where it said problem contracts, it said none? Do you know, do you know how, like, in a good way, how absolutely shocking that felt? Well, salary cap's even though not it hasn't real been, anyway. Yeah. Like, it hasn't been a problem for a while, but it's still, we lived in, in salary cap and bad contract hell for so long. It feels weird to be out of it. I don't know that Ben Schrott's contract, Ben Schrott's contract is not good, but yeah, I guess not a problem because there's so much cap space. They could sign me for three million bucks and be fine. It's cheap enough. I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's cheap enough and short enough that it doesn't hamstring them from anything they want to do. Now, hold on. There's a joke in there, and I'm not going to make it, uh, Brad, because I'm being annoying today, but carry on. Do you want me to get back no, on No, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We're good. The puns could come out, Ryan. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Uh, the Red Wings have infinity cap space. Ben Sherrod only costs four and change million dollars, whatever it is exactly, and there's three years left. Next year, if the Red Wings go all out this summer and they get up against the cap going into next offseason, you could argue, ah, maybe it's a problem contract. But even at that, with two years left, he that'd be a pretty inexpensive buyout. So it's not a good contract. It's definitely the worst contract on the team, but it's, yeah, it's not like absolutely suffocating anything on this roster. So speaking of trades, uh, another big player 
in the market is going to be uh, Danny Breer and the Philadelphia Flyers. That's not a surprise as they finally, for like the first time in their lives, admit that they should be rebuilding. Four years too late kind of thing? Essentially, yeah. Which we as Red Wings fans can't make fun of too much. But two players who have come up as uh, potential Red Wings targets are Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny. Kevin Hayes makes 7.142857 for the next three years. Uh, Centerman, he's uh, currently 31. And Travis Konechny uh, makes 5.5 for the next two years. He's 26. He plays the wing. So that said, it, it looks like Hayes was a guy that the Red Wings kicked tires on, so to speak, as reported by Frank Saravalli, um last trade deadline. And, and Konechny is a guy who I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in the league wants him. I love Travis Konechny. He's one of my favorite non-Red Wings. After these past playoffs, yes, I would imagine everyone is after a Travis Konechny. 100%. And like, does it make sense for Detroit? I think, yeah. He's What's his contract, sorry? 5.5 for the next two years, and he's only 26 years old. Oh, my God, yeah. So, and you know what? Philly's a team that also has capacity to retain as well, especially on a guy like Hayes. Hayes has a, uh, a modified no-trade clause. He submits a 12-team no-trade list, but uh, Konechny has no uh, no trade clause of any kind. So these are other targets for the Red Wings. And when we talk about they have a wealth of picks, a two first this year, potentially two first next year, three seconds this year, uh, a second next year. Those are the kinds of guys, as well as Debrinket, who you kind of try to bring in. You know, you lose Bertuzzi, but you bring in Konechny and Debrinket. That's a pretty good in and out for your forward group, not to mention the guys that you're drafting. So Personally, I'm a big fan of Konechny, but you bring in uh, Hayes to play center, then, you know, if Cop can only stick at wing or hang at wing, then that's not too bad. And they have the cap space to make it work. So this is an interesting one to me um, because both players throw up w- one huge question mark for me in each scenario. So one, Kevin Hayes is a little more obvious question mark. First of all, he, this guy doesn't seem any less of an Iserman type, you know. Uh, not a very quick player, not much to speak of physically. and has, Oh, so he'll fit in well in the Red Wings. Yeah, <laughs> and has had a ton of questions about his compete, especially this past season from his coach, John Tortorella. Um, I mean, he's consistently like a 50-ish point player. I would say his... My call- God, he is on the Red Wings. <laughs> yeah. He's a 31-year-old who's probably getting paid too much. Uh, it's not that I dislike Kevin Hayes as a player. Uh, I think he is talented and he could improve the Red Wings. But his style of play and his contract, I don't love it. But the one advantage that comes with is I don't think he would cost that much. Exactly. I think Philly would be happy just to get him off the books. I think how public the spat between Tortorella and Hayes was discounted him a lot. Yeah, I I don't think you'd have to give up very much at all to get Kevin Hayes. But obviously it comes with all those question marks. Travis Konechny is everything the Red Wings want. He... I, I was shocked to find out when I double-checked his stats today that he was over a point per game this past season. He, again, is a guy who's usually in that 50 to 60-point range, like spread out over a full season, uh, consistently over 20 goals, uh, broke 30 this year, plays the ex- like the very Bertuzzi-type st- style where lots of offense really pain in your ass, except here's the thing that I don't know if many Red Wings fans still want to admit. Uh, Konechny did it better, does it better. Like, he's, he's out-produced Bertuzzi for most of his career. Oh, and, we can say that now. Bertuzzi's gone. Yeah. And he's younger. And yep. he shoots right. Although that's getting... How many small, agitating right-wingers can... Like, not that Raymond's agitating, but Mazer, Konechny, Raymond... Down Something the right about side. having a right-handed blade in your hands just yeah. makes you a, an asshole in the ice. Yeah, it is. Very true. Can confirm. Um, you shoot left? Mm-hmm. 
I'm the outlier, yeah, I suppose. You're, you're the nice guy out yeah. there for sure. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, but the big, big question mark on Travis Konechny, two years left on his contract. So you can't negotiate an extension right now. Fine by me. You risk losing him in two years, which obviously is not going to be the Red Wings window. Obviously, you know he's going to cost a lot because $5.5 million for two years, especially to a contender, which would be most of the Red Wings competition, is very, very attractive. The Red Wings have infinite cap space right now. So if Konechny had two years left, it would be almost more advantageous to the Red Wings that he made $8 million because that would knock other teams out. Yeah, because they have the space for it. Exactly, but that ramps up the pool of teams that are going to be interested um, to include a lot of the contenders that is going to ramp up the price of what he is going to cost to acquire. So even though I love Travis Konechny, that's just not one I see the Red Wings winning the bidding war on. Oh, I would love if they did though. I would. I 100% would. He is, he is the exact type like with what here's I, the thing though, Elliot Friedman said he wonders if if the Red Wings aren't in on this one. And you, you, let's let's decode that. Yeah, they probably are kicking, but I I disagree. I think they have the assets to do it. Oh no, here's here's the thing, and this is kind of getting to the ultimate point I'm making here. The Red Wings can outbid everybody on this. They have one of the deeper. I'm not even gonna call it prospect pools. I'm gonna say asset pools in terms of trade because they have a lot of great prospects and they have a lot of premium picks. And a ton of cap space. So they have the trifecta of what they need to acquire players like this, especially on Philly, who's entering a rebuild, who will very value futures. The thing is, in the position the Red Wings are in right now, you cannot give up super premium pieces for a two-year asset. Is 17 super premium? I'm not, uh, I'm not doubting you. I'm just, I want to know where your line is. For only 17. You do it. Cause you can, if you don't get him to an extension, you flip him for another first in a year and a half for probably an equivalent pick. But every contender will open that. Oh yeah. Every team that has five and a half million dollars in space or can make five and a half million dollars in space. And they're within a two-year window to potentially win the Stanley Cup, they're opening that by about, a lot. What about by like a lot. Athens-CU level return, like two seconds and whatever. Oh my God. Teams uh, will do that again, all day. Again, it won't be enough. That won't be enough. Like the Red Wings are probably looking at, like as it stands right now, based on production, contract, age, everything factored in, Konechny should get a bigger return than to bring it. And the style of game he plays right now has basically got everybody hot and bothered. Um I would be shocked if there isn't 31 teams lining up. He is exactly, exactly the kind of player who it doesn't matter what kind of style of, of play you think is, is successful in the NHL, whatever camp you're in, he is that center of the Venn diagram. Yeah. If you hate Travis Konechny, it's probably because he punched one of your favorite players in the face. He, he's, he tends to do that. Yeah. Also, total himbo. Like, just an absolute dork. Hilarious guy. Travis Konechny is peak NHL mic'd up. Oh, 100%. Probably not all safe to put on the air. Oh, 90% of it. No chance. No, but no. I, I I think you're completely right, Evan. He is exactly the kind of player that GMs should be targeting. So it's not nothing. We're here to say it's not nothing that you're hearing Kevin Hayes' name. It's not nothing that you're, you're hearing Travis Konechny's name. And we've talked a lot about, okay, they didn't get the lottery luck. They have a ton of assets. They have a, a million billion trillion dollars in cap space and you don't want them to be in the gutter anymore 
The only solution moving forward is for Eisenman to be aggressive, and this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear about him in on Debrinkit. You're going to hear about him being in on Konechny and potentially Hayes and a, a lot of other players of higher and lower calibers in free agency and trades, and you're going to hear us talk about it too. So we'll continue that conversation. For now, we want to get a prospect profile in before the end of this episode. Uh, none other than Daniil Boot, the Russian uh, forward who is sometimes maligned in rankings. Probably I'm guilty of that too. Uh, a little bit of a mystery in terms of where he'll actually go, but an intriguing player, highly talented out of Russia with an excellent shot. Who is Daniil Boot as a forward, and do you see him as a potential pick to the Red Wings at 9 or 17? Do you like Elmer Soderblom? Boy, do I have a player for you. Well, I mean, yeah, Daniil Boot's probably got a higher ceiling and definitely a better shot than Soderblom, but, you know, the same type of player in the same type of mold. Um, super big, protects the puck well. Excellent skill, phenomenal shot. Um, you know, I've heard the term thrown around, you know, a lead at nothing, but pretty good at everything type of thing. Although his shot, you could maybe make the argument. But yeah, if um, if the Red Wings are interested, as interested in Hansik as it's reported they are, yeah. there's no reason they shouldn't be interested in Daniil Boot as well then. I'd like Hansik better and I think his skating's better, but boot but um <laughs> it's makes it it makes for very confusing reading yeah but it would make sense that they would be keen on this and it's proven time and time again that the red wings do see value in players like this so you know uh, for me not a consideration at nine overall but very much consideration for 17 overall um especially for a team that needs goal scoring you know that's kind of his thing so yeah, I'm. He's not one of the prospects I'm more well versed in, just because of the whole Russia thing. But you know, it's you get a player that size with that skill. There's no way it's not intriguing. Yeah, the fact that he's already so big and he's not a terrible skater that usually screams to me. This is a guy whose skating can continue to improve, especially because he does have the strength to do so. It, they're kind of like players at this age. It's they're not like giraffes because they they play like grown men compared to like the average Joe. Next to any of us at this table, they would smoke us. But a lot of these players are kind of like giraffes where their bodies are changing so much. And once they like learn to really leverage their size, it's not just about you know winning board battles and knocking guys on their asses. It's about using your strength to generate a good first, second, third step, to generate that se- separation, to get power through your strides efficiently. And so the fact that he's already not a bad skater at 6'5", 200 plus means his skating can probably improve leveraging that strength. Like you said, Brad protects the puck well, super uh, 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 highly talented, creative with the puck, and that's the Elmer Soderbloom shades that you see there, although somehow shorter <laughs> at 6'5". Um, and he he has a scoring touch that the Red Wings are looking for. So the Hanzik thing also came up in my mind of this makes sense because if they're interested in Hanzik, boot in a different way fits that archetype. Yeah, if let's say Hanzik's off the board and they want a player like that at 17, definitely one I can see there. There's that shroud of mystery, though, with Russia, though. So they would lean heavily on their European scouts, and uh, they obviously have contacts and and, um, scouts uh, uh, in Russia and who observe Russia. So that you're going to have to see through, which is much easier for teams to do than public analysis. But yeah. Is it uh, is he a bad skater or was the game just filmed with a potato? We don't know. (laughs) I miss when the KHL was covered so. There's six pixels. I think that's him. Oh, God. Land war in Europe, and so we don't know if this six foot five winger's skating is that. Anyways, 
it's all about the resolution, really. That's what it comes down to. Nice. Um, but you know what? Once that kid stops growing, I think he'll really take a turn. Like, like imagine using a hockey stick that's two inches shorter, two inches taller. You're all over the place. But now imagine it as an 18-year-old who's growing, like, four inches. Like, yeah. everything's all over the place. So the fact that, like you said, he's not a bad skater. And once he stops growing, I think, you know, you get a little bit more normalized into your body. So I think there is the potential there for his skating to improve. He doesn't as- assert himself dominantly like you would prefer uh, someone of that size and weight. It's not like he's a beanpole. He's over 200 pounds. So he's a big boy at his age. Um, you'd probably like to see a little bit more of that. But, you know, as you get used to your body, I think that sort of comes naturally. Um, so if you like a guy who's got a knack for goal scoring and you think you can, you think you can improve his skating... Not a bad pick at uh, in the teens for me. Definitely not in the top ten, but um, he's intriguing. You think so? You think definitely not at ninth overall. Not one of your okay picks for Detroit. No. Do you think there's any chance he goes in the top ten? Period. Because I, I don't think it's likely. I think it's a low probability, but I don't think it's nothing. Well, define chance. Do I need to look into the camera for the clip? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you could, actually. You're dressed pretty well today. My name is Ryan Hanna. No, no. no. I don't think Daniil Boot will go, but will go in the top top 10. You're the one who's right the most out of us. So, yeah, Yeah, if you could give me your opinions under my name, that'd be great. I don't know. He's he's maybe the kind of guy who can go much higher than people expect because – the whole Russian thing is is uh, pushes him down people's lists. Is there an inefficiency this year in Russian scouting? Maybe. Like if he was Canadian, where would he be ranked? Probably top fifteen, right? And that's not a big difference, but I don't know. I think we we might be surprised as to uh, uh, when he can go. But yeah, fully agree. I, I think he's the kind of build and the, uh, the kind of player type that the Red Wings would be interested in. Not necessarily that they will take, but that they would be interested in. As it has gone this entire time. There are so many players available from Zach Benz. Every, everyone after Will Smith is a potential for the Red Wings at both 9 and 17, essentially. There are very few players that you couldn't put up a reasonable argument for that the Detroit can get one or both of them at either of their picks. This will be the draft where the variance and projected versus actual will be very low. Just watch. Yeah. You're, like, we're going to have genuine surprise on our faces unless we get informed yeah. beforehand, in which case we'll have to fake it. Yeah. What year was it? 2020, the Lucas Raymond draft. We were expecting maximum chaos because of the uh, um, pandemic. And I think we predicted, not in the same order, but we predicted the top 10 damn near. Yeah. yeah. 90 to 100%. Yeah. And I think then, Jack Quinn was the only one that was kind of surprising. Yeah. We learned after the cider draft. Yeah. We learned a lot. All right. That is the prospect profile on Daniil Boot. Uh, On to some NHL news quickly. The Vancouver Canucks in one of the most predictable situations in recent NHL history have bought out Oliver ekman Larson. Man, that trade was bad from day one. They acquired ekman Larson with just under a million retained from Arizona as well as Connor Garland in exchange for Antoine Roussel. Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, a first, a second, and a seventh. They were shedding salary, but then also took a ton on in Ekman Larson, who was a player. Look, I'm going to say this. I was a big, big Ekman Larson fan throughout most of his career. Even now, like I don't, it's not okay. I don't like the guy, but I loved his game. But he signed that deal with Arizona and then just. That was f- it. He cratered. That was the kiss of death. I don't, man, I don't. 
I struggle off the top of my, I mean, I struggle all the time off the top of my head, <laughs> but um, I can't think of a guy who kind of went from highly touted to being bought out quite like this. And when they traded for him, like his deal was 8.25 million with again, just under. It was a, never good. A million. No, through 2026, 2027. This is a, I believe the cost, and this is from Cap Friendly, $19.33 million buyout cost is the largest ordinary course, so not compliance buyout. Yes. Ordinary buyout in the NHL's cap era. The only four larger buyouts, uh, Brad Richards, uh, Rick DiPietro, Ilya Brizgalov, and Vinny LeCavalier were all compliance buyouts. So that mm. doesn't affect the cap. This is like, I mean, you, you could see this coming, like you said, bad from day one. I joked in, in the group chat, it's like, oh, why do Canadian teams never win the cup? And it's like, uh, undesirable locations, insane media market. I mean, Vancouver is not undesirable. No. But... High taxes, high pressure. No, it's because they, they, they run their teams like maniacs. Like, they are just so lost in the sauce, and everyone saw it. I mean, again, the regime over there has changed, and yeah. so this is they're just cleaning up shop. The Red Wings, I don't think Ken Holland did this. I, I, no. But, uh, you know. There's you need to spend time undoing a lot of the cap hell, but now there's conversation about is Vancouver going to be a uh, a competitive team? Blah blah blah. That's a different story. But yeah, that was a. I saw that news and I went, holy! The amount of money that's dead on their cap has got to be insane now. Yeah, it's a good day to be uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, though. <laughs> Man, what did you say when we were uh, be- between edits here? I said. As a if I was a professional athlete, getting bought out would be my dream. <laughs> because then, if another team gets signs you, you're double dipping, and if not, you're getting paid to not work. I mean, they're a little bit different animals, and they would prefer to be playing, I'm sure. But I wouldn't. That's mind. why they made it. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit different mindset for sure. Um, that was the only diff- only reason why I didn't make it to the NHL, but. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> that and that one knee injury. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine being in a combine interview and they're like, what's your, aside from the Stanley Cup, what's your biggest dream in the NHL? And be like, sign a huge contract and get bought out. I had a, I played hockey with a buddy and we're like, oh, like what would be your position, your favorite position to play in any professional sports? And we're all like, oh, starting quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And buddy's like, I want to be like the th- seventh pitcher who comes in like once every 10 days, but I still make a decent living and can be there for 10 years. I was like, oh my God. I I think backup quarterback is the way to go. You almost yeah. never get reps. Backup quarterback to like a team with a bonafide number one who doesn't get hurt. Like, I don't really know. Like Tom Brady. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you're not going in. And you make so much money. Oh, yeah. Hold a clipboard, have some sick flow, I guess, for the the sideline video. Being a punter would be great until you're the last man back and these absolute mutants are running (laughs) at you. And it's like, oh, shit, I got to make a block. And they just (laughs) run right through you like you're a sheet of drywall. Yeah. Or you do the old uh, quarterback. You pretend to turn the wrong way so you get burned. And that would have to take the contact. Yeah. Yeah. That would be me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, Oliver Ekman Larkin. Alvin, Oliver Ekman Larson is going to have suitors now to sign because he can sign for cheap. And he's going to be on... Vancouver's cap uh, books forever. And uh, again, more on, uh, uh, sorry, to bring it here, and Timo Meyer, a guy who we haven't talked about too much. Both the Senators and the Devils have elected for arbitration with um, with those two players. So it's not much is going to change. They can get as low as 85%, I believe, of their salary. So you could see a little bit of a reduction based on their their high qualifying offers. But 
Um, that's just uh, some NHL news coming up. There's a lot more there too, um, but overall, the buyout was the one that kind of stood out to me as uh, that's big. It's good for Detroit if Vancouver is making big moves because then that kind of chaos is, is yeah, good for excellent. a team who wants to capitalize. Don't mind that at all. No. All right. We are going to head over into uh, overtime here. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, as always, is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to support the show, you get access into uh, our Patreon-exclusive Discord community, uh, our bonus episodes, which record and post right after this, and uh, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Again, you support our expanded uh, content universe, our uh, support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and uh, everything that we do on this uh, show. Uh, quick note, we didn't have any uh, overtime on last episode because it was our annual uh, draft, or sorry, mock draft. And on this episode, I don't know what happened. I'm going to blame Brad because he left in case you're wondering why you can't hear him anymore. Um, but I apologize. The posting did not work properly. So I, I put a plea. Oh my God, we got... <laughs> so 30 minutes ago, I put a plea out on Discord and said we have no questions because this didn't post properly. So I said, here's the link if you could post. And yeah, we have uh, we have a good amount already. So uh, we're going to take some questions from our Patreon supporters. Okay. Question here from a pointy circle says, let's say that the Red Wings get very active prior to the draft this year. First, we see 17 in Zadina or Willinder for Debrinkit. And then we see uh, 9th Boston's 2024 first and 41 for pick five or six to get Michkov. Is this realistic? How far ahead does this advance the rebuild? Are we talking solid playoff run in three years? Or are we looking at a cup contender? Also, this is more of an either or, uh, either or an and situation for the aff- aforementioned forward. So is that an either or an and? Um, though two big moves like that, I think is just generally uncommon in the NHL. I think mm-hmm. either could happen for sure. Does either one of, let's say even both of those, do both of those move you into being a solid cup contender in three years? I, I think that too much else has to happen to declare that. And it also really depends on what other teams do. Like if other teams in the Atlantic do idiotic things and there's a big shift in sort of the power. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Maybe. It's it's so hard to tell. Like so many things can happen in three years. Ariel Rojo says, is there any way to compare teams at the top of the best prospects list and figure out where drafting skill stops and development skill begins? That's a complicated question and it's one that I wrestle with quite a bit. So what I'll say about that is... I don't think there's any way to say it definitely. I think you need to look at historically what has happened with players who were highly touted but then didn't pan out or, you know, players who weren't highly touted but teams seem to find gems very often. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not a perfect formula because it could be really, really good draft. I, I think the, the scouting team in in Tampa Bay, for example, is excellent with the players they've been able to find. Uh, but lo- look at New York with all of their first overall, second overall, like premium players in the first round who have just not panned out. That to me is a team that screams, we have a problem with developing our prospects. Yeah. Because none of those players are exactly the same. It's like, oh, we have this wide variety of top end talent that's just never turned out. Why is that? Well, I think you take a look in the mirror and uh, it becomes pretty evident. Um, Every player, every prospect is so different, right? Like, 
you know, how are they going to react living in a new city and a new organization? How does that organization, you know, foster development of their prospects? Like there's so many unknowns outside of just some prospect skill pool or skill or talent that they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, there's, it's not a fine science. That's for sure. Uh, Jigglypig says, what's the order of the most likely Canadian team to win the cup? So what, in terms of all the teams that could potentially win the cup, uh, that are based out of Canada, what's the order of most to least likely? Toronto. Yeah, I would say Edmonton over Toronto. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'd go Edmonton, Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Who's worse? Montreal, Vancouver. Yeah, at the bottom, it's like, okay. Yeah, maybe something <laughs> there, like It's that. a tie for last. <laughs> I think everything after Edmonton is just a shit show, honestly. Yeah, the top two make a lot of sense, but after that, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Winnipeg. Uh, it's not Ottawa's time just yet. Uh, Kara or Kara, no one ever knows, and she's never actually told me the difference between the two. It says, give it to me straight. Is my boy Albert Johansson getting T-worded this summer? Is Albert Johansson getting traded? Well, Detroit certainly has a logjam on the back end. Uh, I don't know that necessarily that's in the plans for him. They have, it's going to depend on how he competes for a roster spot. They do have a lot of guys with left-handed sticks in their, in their hands who play defense. That said, he is one of their better left-handed deep prospects. He's one of their better prospects in general. Uh, you know, is Will Linder going to come in and play on the right side as he did uh, a lot overseas? Who knows? And, yeah. and that could inform on this as well. So I don't know. It, it could happen, but I wouldn't call it necessarily uh, a very likely. Okay. Uh, Linda Hall says, uh, who do you think are the five-ish guys we should hope are around to pick with the second round picks? This could be a lot of players. You know, Tanner Mullendike is a guy who came up uh, in terms of defense. Oliver Bonk is going to be a very, very uh, common name. I've seen Otto Stenberg and Callum Ritchie, you know, in the late teens and in the second round. Uh, Danny Nelson is a guy who we took in the mock. I'll say Daniel Butt. Yeah, you're sticking to that butt pronunciation, huh? I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's Daniil Boot. I don't know that he gets there. In general, I would say look at the later first round, like Anton Wahlberg, another guy um, who was looked at in that mock. I don't think Edward Shalla gets there, but Gavin Brindley, if you want the Michigan guy. There's a lot of centers who are there who would be uh, a potential options, I think, who would be who would be good picks. Uh, Ball U Houston says in Eisenman's press conference, he brought up tools as it relates to baseball and that he doesn't know what they are. I know Brad has described what he means by toolsy in the hockey sense, but what are the five tools of baseball and what would be the five tools of hockey and who on the wings has the most slash best tools? You know the five? Baseball, hitting, throwing, <laughs> speed. Uh, I don't know. What else? Is this a, is there a real answer to this? Hitting for average, hitting for power, fielding, oh, throwing, and running. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. So the five tools of hockey. Um, shooting, shooting. Passing. Passing. Skating. I think skating has to be broken out. Okay. Ex- acceleration. Acceleration. Top end speed. Yeah. Acceleration. Um, top end speed. And then I think strength in general. 
physical yeah physicality yeah unless you don't unless you want to call skating one and then you call physicality um another one and then strength is its own you separate out those two shooting passing skating strength physicality oh i was counting that as one mm. there's probably something ob- extremely obvious yeah, yeah how much guy per 60 you bring yeah what's your dude okay Norris Sider says, outside of a blatantly obvious poor decision, the likes of which just aren't Iserman's MO, what would it take for you to start doubting the Iser plan such, slash how much longer would each of you feel comfortable letting him steer the rebuild? I mean, if we go another few years and we're still having conversations like we are today, then at that point, I think the, the ship has sailed. Agreed. I agree. You can't be, essentially, if it's not going to be like one big thing, it, the evaluation would be, are we still in the mucky middle a few years later? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, everybody knows rebuilds take time. Unless you get some lottery luck, which Red Wings have not done. Um, so yeah, I think if the Red Wings don't flip the switch and start competing for the playoffs in the next year or so, two years, I think that's maybe when you start to think is the are the ideas and the the thought process and the strategy behind this really working anymore. Uh, this one from Norris, or sorry, this one from Udalali says you've been granted access to a time machine and can bring Prime Zetterberg to the current team. However, in order to do so, you must also bring with you either Brett Lebda or Andres Lilia, and you can never scratch them. Who are you bringing with Hank? I don't, I'll bring them both. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Prime Henrik Zetterberg? You can dress Evan. I wouldn't mind that. Dress Lebda. I don't know. Does not matter to me. Those guys were both. Perfectly fine in the butt ends of jokes at different points in their career with the Red Wings. Lebda, sure. Yeah. Prime Zetterberg. I would bring back Jonathan Erickson at his absolute worst if it meant coming back with Prime Zetterberg. And if you know me, you know how much I hated having Erickson on this team, which I felt bad for because I'm sure he's a great... I've heard he's a phenomenal guy, but yeah, no. Absolutely, I would love to have uh, Zetterberg back. Uh, and this last one from Stan Olson says, Sup boys, hope all is well. Are you going to live stream the draft next week? Yes. Our live stream, our annual live stream of the first round of the NHL draft is going to be happening on uh, Wednesday, uh, June 28th. So a week from today, tune in. We are going to be going live about an hour or so before the first round starts and be uh, live streaming through the night. So it's a it's a long, it's our, probably our two longest days of the year. So the way it works is we live stream the first round. Day two is Patreon exclusive stream slash hangout where it's not just us talking uh the patrons can join in as well uh we cover all the picks and then uh later that night is actually when we record our draft uh recap episode so that way you go into the weekend having that episode um and then we can breathe a little on friday which i'm assuming eisman will use to make a massive trade because that's how these things go but yes uh wednesday live stream thursday patreon exclusive stream we should have went to the uh, the draft this year. I know. Nashville would have been great. It's it's so much fun. Uh, Stan says, why on earth is the NHL having a draft on a Wednesday night slash Thursday day? You oh, wanna, you must be new here. You want to know what the uh, actual answer is? I think it was scheduling with Nashville. I think that's the time they could get. Well, when you're the fourth, maybe fifth biggest sport in North America, that's what you get. Yeah. You get the leftovers. Yeah. Anyways, that's uh, that's what we're working with. But uh, we're looking forward to those streams. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. To all of our listeners, we really, really appreciate it. To all of you who can support on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, 
Um, it means a lot to us. And for those who can't or want to support in a different way, uh, leave us a rating. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, leave a rating and subscribe. It actually uh, helps us quite a bit. And tell a friend about the show. But for now, we let, want to thank uh, everyone, all of our Patreon supporters, especially our name level uh, sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Raymond's Missing Tooth, uh, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Burn Down Charts Don't Mean Anything, Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Dad, Please Come Home, It's Been Five Years, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Three, Ryan, Big Brass Ones, Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate's About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose. Ask your doctor about butt and a lemon. Side effects include dry mouth, dry butt, wet butt, and lemony butt, but not in a good way. <laughs> Reed, you are an insane person. Can't wait till I see you again, buddy. Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buff Chest, the Tarpless Goon, CJ Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Support, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Ryan Hanna's Big Brass Ones, Steven Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Talk to you Sunday for our draft preview episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.